If you would, uh, please turn with me uh, into uh, your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Malachi. Go to Malachi. You guys looked at me like, what? No, go to Malachi. Go, go to Malachi. We're going to be finishing out our series in Malachi today, Hard Words for Hard Times. Hard Words for Hard Times. And I'm super excited to be wrapping up uh, this series. We've looked at a lot of different things. But this last chapter, so chapter number four, is in my opinion a summary of the discussion of Israel's faith and Israel's future. So we spent three chapters looking at what was going on with the Israelites. And today I want us to think of this chapter uh, as really three chapters of God doing an analysis or an autopsy on the heart of the people of Israel. And now we're going to look at the, the summation or the synopsis at the very end. Now if you remember, this entire book has been full of questions and accusations and arguments against God. Now, he's going to give a final diagnosis here and what they can expect based on their spiritual health. And his answer to this, I believe that we all need to hear. His answer on this is a message that I believe that we all must heed, and it is the message that we have an unchanging God. Amen, church? We have an unchanging God. I'm going to make a statement before we go any further, a statement that uh, is attempted to be obliterated by our culture in this, uh, in this day and age, and it's this. People reject the fact that God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. And so church, we are a church that believes that God is unchanging. Amen? Amen. So the last insight regarding the coming of the Lord is this, God is not changing. His word is not going to change. His promises are not going to change. And his coming is not going to change. If you're thinking that somehow God is going to change his mind, then you need to realize that's not going to happen this morning. God's mind as, as to what he has laid out for us in scripture will not change. We, we are all, almost always waiting for God to change, but in turn, he's waiting for us to change. He's waiting for us to be obedient. He's waiting for us to change and follow truth. So if you would look with me at verse number one. He says this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all of the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ash under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, in verse number five, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the father to their children 
and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Or in some versions, that very last word is curse, is the word curse. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for this this day that we have to freely come and hear these truths. And I'm asking of you now, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would convict our hearts as to our standing before you. Lord, I'm asking that we would see uh, change, radical life change in our lives when we submit to your truth. So, Lord, I'm asking to impress, for you to impress upon our hearts areas that we need to be more submissive, areas that need to be looked at, areas that need to be chiseled away so that we can look more like your son. Lord, fill us with truth, fill us with love and grace and mercy. Help us to be a people who loves justice and mercy and humility. As the, they have, that's the way that you have called us to live. And I ask and pray all of these things now in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen and amen. So here God is speaking for the last time for 400 years. And he ends out the book with utter destruction. That's how it ends. And then God is silent before we get to the Gospels. Now listen, he's pulling back for a moment the the curtain on future events. He's dealing with the second coming. He's dealing with the judgment that is about to come upon the Israelites. Now, this is strong language, very strong language. It's not easy for us to hear. Would you guys agree with that? Would you guys agree that it's not easy to hear something strong, especially when it's something that the Holy Spirit is convicting you about? Listen, it's a warning, church, for the last time. Imagine with me the picture of a parent telling its, their child, this is the last time I'm going to talk to you about this. You guys ever say that to your kids? This is the last time I'm going to talk to you about this. Picture a judge saying this is the final decision. This is it. And this is what God is saying. The day of the Lord is being spoken about here. A time of rewards or judgments. Eternal destiny in the presence of God or eternal damnation with God's wrath in hell. These are the two pictures. So I want you to write something down this morning, church. I want you to not forget this. The day of the Lord is the best day for the believer but it is the worst day for the unbeliever. I'm going to say it again. The day of the Lord is the best day for the believer, but it is the worst day for the unbeliever. Church, Christian, friend in this room, there is coming a time when God is going to judge, and we know that before he does, he always sends a warning. He always has been patiently waiting for us, but the warnings have been coming. Would you guys agree with that? We're in a season, and right now we find ourselves in a season, and I don't know how long it will be. But every indication, according to Scripture, is telling me that the time is getting very, very close. The time is getting very close 
very close. So there are a few things that I want us to remember this morning. The first thing that I want us to know from Scripture is that there is a certainty of God's judgment. There is a certainty of God's judgment. Now, it's easy for us to think, well, this is the Old Testament. And God is different in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament. In fact, uh, before my wife and I moved here, um, we had spent, for many of you, you know this, that we spent 10 years at a church just outside of Tampa, Florida. And um, in that time, we worked mostly with teenagers and children. But there was an individual who, if he's watching this right now, He'll, he'll get me back later. But there was an individual um, that I spent several years investing into the life of this young man. And his name is Charlie. Um, or more affectionately known to me as Chuck. And uh, Charlie was one, to the, one of those uh, teenagers who uh, was super intellectual. He was very, very book smart. Uh, he knew all sorts of different things. Uh, he could carry on adult conversations from a very early age in his life. Um, and he understood and grasped things very quickly. And I remember going through uh, some of the Bible with him, and he said this thought to me. It seems like God's always mad in the Old Testament. To which typically I replied, well, they were being stupid. <laughs> now... Would I typically say something like that? No, but I was dealing with a teenager, so I was trying to help him to understand the error of his ways. But the thought has come up multiple times over the course of almost 14 years of ministry for us that people have said something similar. God is always angry in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, he's not. And I'm like, but what about the wrath of God that was laid upon Christ at the cross? God hasn't changed. The things that God abhors in the Old Testament, he abhors in the New Testament. In fact, he tells Paul to tell the church, abhor what is evil. Hate it. As I was telling the prayer team this morning, Paul tells Timothy to tell the church, turn from iniquity. The coming of of Christ is a sure event. Just like his first coming has been according to the word of God, so will his second coming. That is the the message that we see throughout the the, the minor and and major prophets of the Old Testament, that Christ is coming. Uh, I believe that William Barclay, theologian uh, and great pastor of his time, said this, the best way to prepare for the coming of Christ is to never forget the presence of Christ. I'm going to say it again. The best way to prepare for the coming of Christ is to never forget the presence of Christ. There, there is an inscription, and, and I was reading this week, and um, I did not know this until just recently. Um, I was reading this week uh, an article uh, about our government buildings in Washington, D.C. Has anyone ever had an opportunity to tour D.C.? Okay, so a handful of you. Um, How many of you have ever been inside the Capitol building? So inside the Capitol building, there is an inscription on the dome. I did not know this, and I was talking with my wife this week. Um, This is so fitting. 
There is an inscription on the dome of our capital in Washington, D.C., which very few people know about. It says, one far-off divine event towards which the whole of creation moves. There was a visitor who wrote this article and saw the inscription and they asked the guide what it meant. And the guide said it refers to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when the dome of our capital was erected, some God-fearing men and women ordered that inscription to be etched in the stone so it could not be removed. They etched it in the dome of the seat of our government, believing the truth was vital to the concerns of our nation. Oh, how we have strayed. One far off divine event toward which the whole of creation moves. There is judgment that is coming. But for the believer, we hold on to the unchanging promise that was given to us through the blood of the Son. And so the second thing I want us to see this morning is the unchanging promise of God. Look back with me to verse number two. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Amen, church? You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Man. Verse number two tells me there is coming a day of total and complete healing. Total and complete healing. No more doctors. No more treatment. No more wheelchairs. No more handicapped. No more pain. No more suffering. No more sorrow. No more tears. No hospitals. No hospice. Gone. All of it. No more mental pain. No more emotional pain. Complete and total healing. Paul said, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.14. One of my life verses. A verse that I cling to regularly because what is the prize for the believer i press towards the mark i press into god to be more like him for the prize the prize is that very thought being in the presence of holiness and because of how holy god is there is no more pain there is no more suffering there is there's no more shortcomings no more sin no more brokenness in the world, 
the, the sun, if you will, is the center of our universe, our solar system, and everything revolves around the sun. But Christ is the son of righteousness that Malachi talked about. And, and, and when we center our life on him, everything revolves around him. And there's coming a day, there's coming a day, church, where everything will revolve around the second coming of Christ. And it will be freeing. There will be no more coming and saying, I struggle with this still. Why? There will be no more, I'm sorry I offended you. There will be no more, I'm walking away because the pastor did this or his wife said that. There will be no more, I was hurt by my spouse. There will be no more, my kids turned away from me. It'll be freeing. It will be freedom. When was the last time you got on your knees thanking God for what is to come? And when was the last time you got on your knees and said, even so, come? Even so, come. Feel like any more my prayers have have greatly changed over the last seven months really over the last year and a half that I've been here as your pastor but over the last seven months my prayers have changed because I I want to experience a life with no more sorrow I want to experience a life where there is no more pain. But it has also driven me to be the best representation of God as, as possible so that I can bring people along to no more pain and no more sorrow. And until that day comes, church, until the day comes where God says, I'm no longer going to tarry, I'm going to come. We have to remember the commands of God. We have to remember the commands of God. Look back with me to verse number four. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. We're reminded to remember the standard that God set for us, that God is holy, that God is righteous, and that we're, we are to live this life according to his standard and not our own. We do not make up the rules along the way. God has set a standard for each one of us, and when we break that standard, we are sinning against a holy God. Church, we know, we know that we have all sinned. Amen, church? We know that we have all sinned. And the law was not so much set forth to try to keep us, but to establish the reality that we can't keep it. We've been learning this throughout Revela or through the book of Romans. 
that, that God's standard was only fulfilled through one man. And that one man was Jesus Christ. And for us, that means we need to be repentant to be saved. And then once salvation occurs, it's to be lived out over the course of our entire lives until we're no longer here upon this earth. And that means living a repentant life. That means going to God and saying, I don't want to be this person anymore. That means getting on your knees before God and begging of him to change you because you can't stand the filth that's inside of you because you hate sin. Church, I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years. There's something in you that can change. There's something in you that needs to look more like God. There's something in you that, that needs to be removed from your life so that you can be a better image bearer. And so please, please do not sit in here and think that you are somehow exempt from being changed. And like I said to you guys back three weeks ago, I can't stand here and preach these things to you until God's already been working in my life. And so I'm not exempt either. I'm not exempt. In fact, I would probably be the first person to sit here and tell you that I am a sinner. I make mistakes every single day. And if you don't, if you don't, please don't ask my wife, but she will verify she will verify. Church, turn away from iniquity. Second Timothy 2.19 If you call the name of the Lord, turn away from iniquity. Turn away from sin. Turn away from your rules. Turn away from self-righteousness. Turn away from a religion and turn towards God. We've, we've said this multiple times here. Repentance is to turn away from sin and self and to turn towards Jesus Christ. And so to live a repentant life, we have to continuously lay aside our wants. We have to continuously lay aside our desires and turn towards God. Turn towards truth. Invest that time into reading and meditating upon that which is good. Why did the psalmist say, your word have I hid in my heart so that I would not what? Sin against thee. Truth is what helps the believer walk the narrow path. But I want us to see something here in Scripture Verse number four starts out by saying, remember the law. Remember, remember. That word is used in, in the book of Deuteronomy, which is the heart of the law. Thirteen different times does the writer of Deuteronomy, Moses, say remember, remember, remember. And that word remember comes from the Hebrew word zakar, and it means to put into remembrance. It's an action. It's not that it's just going to fall upon you like some fairy dust put into remembrance. 
calling to one's mind truth. And so God challenged his people to not forget what he had said and what he had done in their life. Man, how often do we forget what God has done in our lives? How often the law is unchanging and it must not be neglected in one's life. God set the standard for us to live and it's for our behavior and our beliefs and he's not going to adjust the law to fit our lifestyle. If we're going to have God's blessing in this life, then we have to focus on what the word of God says and what he requires. Freedom, church. Freedom does not mean the absence of constraints or moral absolutes. In fact, I would say there is more freedom in boundaries than there are without. I want want you to, maybe this will help you to understand it a little bit uh, more clearly. Suppose uh, a skydiver at 10,000 feet announced to the group of people in that plane that he has decided to not use his parachute when he jumps out of that plane. And he goes, I want freedom, and he just jumps. No parachute, no nothing. I want freedom. Well, what happens to that individual? They just fell 10,000 feet to the ground with nothing to save them. The fact that the skydiver is in the constraints of a greater law called gravity, he's going to fall pretty quickly to the ground. But if that skydiver chose the constraints of a parachute, he is free to enjoy the exhilaration of the ride. And so church, God's moral laws act in the exact same way for the believer. They restrain us, but they are absolutely necessary to enjoy the exhilaration of freedom in Christ. We have to remember the certainty of God's judgment and the unchanging promise and the commands of God. But the very last thing I want us to see this morning as we begin to land the plane here, is that there is one last call to change at the end of this book. There is a last call to change. He says in verse number four, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I have commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. And behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will return or he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. First of all, I want us to notice something very important here in Scripture. He mentions Moses, and he mentions Elijah to close out the book. Two men, giants of the Bible. I don't mean physical giants, because some of you look at me like, what? Two prominent men in the Old Testament. Moses, when he died, he was buried, according to the Bible, in a secret place that only God knows. 
And Elijah, on the other hand, never died, but he was taken up to God. Both of those men, Moses and Elijah, did amazing things. And both men reappear in the New Testament at the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Peter, James, and John witnessed it occur. And then in in the book of Revelation, chapter 11, in my opinion, according to what we know from Scripture, these two men will be the ones that return as the two witnesses of the end time. They will come back for a limited time, and they will preach repentance one last time before God pours out his wrath upon the earth. And the sad truth, though, is the message of repentance will be rejected according to the word of God. And both men will be killed and then left in the streets. They will be left in the streets. And God's judgment will then begin. Elijah was the forerunner of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 1 verse 17 says, And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Sadly, we know that that message of repentance is, is met in Scripture with stiff resistance. It's met with much rejection. And I've spent many a times praying over that very thought, but church, I want you to please note that the message of repentance is always met with resistance and oftentimes with total rejection. We, we don't want to repent. We don't want to change. We like our sin. We don't like authority and we don't like the rules unless we have made them. People think God is intolerable and that God has no tolerance at all. Listen, friends, God starts with tolerance. That's why he's given us grace. That's why he has given us grace and it works towards repentance. What did we learn for those of you on Wednesday night in chapter 2 of Romans? It's the goodness of God that leads one to repentance. He ushered in the repentance of the people. Now, what does that mean? Because we hear, and I'm going to kind of go off script for just a moment, and I want, I want to make sure that we understand something. When I said that God starts with tolerance, that doesn't mean that um, he, he's okay with everything that occurs. You guys tracking with me so far? All right, because that's not what we see in Scripture. In fact, we see the opposite of that. Jesus sat with the sinners so that they would come to repentance not because he wanted to be inclusive of their sin. And so his tolerance is saying, I'm going to be long-suffering with your sinfulness. His tolerance is saying, I'm not going to bring judgment right now upon you. We are in a time period, a dispensation of grace, and it's going to end in the near future. There's going to be a time, as the Bible tells us, where the presence of the Lord will no longer dwell with the people. And so church, church, Christian, the message of repentance 
has massive implications for our lives. Huge implications. And they concern the families of our culture. If we don't repent, if we don't change, if we don't see the word at the end there, look back. What does your Bible say? The very last word, utter destruction, curse, is how the Old Testament ends. His last word is some serious stuff. You know, the whole book, he was speaking with his children, but this right here is his heart coming through. His children, oftentimes, like Christians of today, have not been obedient. We've argued with our dad. We've, we've disgusted our dad. We've broken his heart, and yet he still loves us. See, there's something that we must understand as we walk away. Something that really sets us up for Father's Day next week. You get a father's heart when you become a father's child. You get a father's heart when you become a father's child. And as you grow, you seek to honor your father. You seek to obey your father. Let me just say, this entire book has been a relational book. And he's speaking to fathers one last time here at the end. Directly to the men. Now listen, some of you in here I know did not have a loving father growing up. I've had conversations with some of you. And I understand. I understand that some of you did have loving fathers growing up. And so we're a mixed bag of sinners here in this church. I understand that some of you are working through forgiving working through bitterness towards men and fathers, and you feel like you can't forgive them. The, the bitterness in you towards your father and those frustrations will fester. And guess what, church? If that's where you're at, they will continue to live on in your children. We, as Followers of Christ must forgive in order to be like our Heavenly Father. We need to act like children of the Father. And most people have no idea what to look for in a father because they had no father in their life. Or they had a poor example of a father. Or worse, they had what the Bible calls a wicked father and you look around and you see people just taking their cues from the wickedness and the evil of this world and what are the results generations of broken hearts generations of shattered homes generations of shattered dreams children that are desperate for a father's love and they seek to find it in any earthly pleasure that they can like a curse isn't it it's like utter destruction that we're seeing all around us I mean we get it right church do you get it 
God wanted the curse broken, and so he sent his son. Balcony, he sent his son. Those of you online, he sent his son so that those of us who were saved would know the power over the curse. The power that comes through Jesus Christ alone. But we must never forget that the curse still exists. We must never forget that lives are being ruined and one day will forever end the curse. But for those who have not repented, it will be too late. And so, church, we have a mission. We have a mission. The well church exists to impact Ionia with the gospel by people learning the Bible and living out biblical truth. And in turn, we want to connect people to God in everyday moments of life. And so church, our, our mission as a body of believers here. Now this, for those of you who are not a part of the church or regular attenders, I'm not meaning to scare you, but we as a church have a mission. Those of you who are members here, those of you who are regular attenders here, we have a mission. And it's to learn the Bible and to live out those biblical truths so that we can connect people to God in everyday moments of life. And that starts right here. I was listening to a song earlier before church started and I was messing around with my kids, but the song has such a beautiful picture. And the song starts out saying that we have our rock star preacher that won't bring us to our knees. And we want our coffee in the lobbies and we want to watch our worship on a screen. But if we want to see the lives healed, if we want to see the tyrants kneel, if we want to see the broken put back together, then it starts right here in the church. It starts right here in this building, church. Friend, Christian, it starts right here. The song goes on to say that I was like the brother of the prodigal who turned my nose and puffed my chest. I didn't run off like my brother, but my heart was just as dead. So, who, who would be willing to get out of your seat this morning? Who is willing to stand up and say, I'm ready. Whatever it costs, wherever we have to go, I'm ready to, to be used by God because I've been learning the Bible. I'm ready to invest into the lives of other people who are lost and hurting. Church, do you know the suicide rate and the addiction rate in our county alone has almost increased by 40% over the last 24 months? People think there's no way out. 
Do you know that mental health has increased by almost 62% in our county alone? Meaning anxiety and depression. Man, talk about reality check. I know what that's like. I struggled for years as one who struggled with anxiety. I've shared my story with you. I've told you how bad it was where I was, I was physically seeing the repercussions in my own life. Church, people need help. And guess what? My wife and I can't do it alone. We have a capacity. And so Ephesians chapter 4 tells me that I'm to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so I'm asking you, this morning, who will, stand, who will stand up with us? Who's ready to say, here I am, send me? Who? Thank you. Stand up. If, if you're willing, stand up. If you're, if you're going to say, I'm, I'm here. Church, that means we need to continue to press into truth. That means we need to keep being changed by truth. That means we, we can't any longer stiff arm the Holy Spirit. We have to say, bring the conviction, Lord, so I'm different, so I'm changed, so that all of this flesh is gone. And the only thing that remains inside of me is the image of Christ. Church, it's game on. How many of you were here the day that they, um, they voted on me as your pastor? How many of you were here? A good, a good number of you were here. Do you remember the, the very thing that I said uh, before I, my wife and I stepped off of the stage? I said, I'm going to probably let you down. I said, I'm going to fail you in some way, shape, or form. But I love the Lord, and I want you to come with me, because we're ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. And so church, let's go. Why do you think I tell you that you're sent every Sunday? The very last thing I say to you is you're sent. Well, because guess what? You're stepping into your mission field the moment you open the doors of the church. And so I'm sending you out, sending you out. I've given you the truth, and I'm sending you out, and I hope you come back Wednesday, and I hope you come back Sunday to get more truth and to learn more and to be refilled. So guess what? You can go back out again. So church, church, let's go. Let's go. Let's pray. Come on. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your example, for your grace and your mercy. God, we thank you for your life change in us. We thank you for your son, for the gift that has been given. We thank you for the peace in our lives, Lord. We thank you for the, the, um, the, the hope and the comfort that we've received through the Holy Spirit and through your church. And so, Lord, now we're asking of you to give us boldness to be your vessels. Give us boldness to be a witness for you and lord prepare prepare for us divine divine opportunities 
where we can share the hope that we have inside of us. As Peter told the church to be prepared, be ready for. And in Lord, in doing so, like the challenge today, help us to remember your truth and remember the call to change. Because Lord, there's never a moment where we don't need you and we don't need your gospel. It is a constant necessity in our lives. And so Lord, help us to never forget. Give us your strength, Lord, as we walk in obedience to you. No matter what comes, no matter if we're planting the seeds or we're watering them, we're watching them grow or we're seeing the harvest occur, Lord, help us to rejoice together as a church no matter what the step of the process. And Lord, in everything that we say, in every thought that we have, in every step that we take, in everything that we put our hands to, help us to glorify you. And I ask and pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen and amen. Church, I love you. Thank you for being here. And you are sent.